Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. The Yes Collective is an emotional health studio run by the best therapists and psychologists around. Our team focuses on cutting edge approaches like internal family systems, somatic therapies, authentic relating, and trauma-informed experiential group practices. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook to learn more. I'm Justin Wilford, PhD, Director of Content and co-founder of Yes Collective. And each week I join my host, Jenny Walters, licensed therapist and co-CEO of Yes Collective to bring you the most amazing cutting edge therapists, psychologists, coaches, and other leaders in emotional health. Thanks so much for joining us and be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. This week, we are thrilled to be joined by Lauren Lovett, an embodied artist coach who is on a mission to support people in their pursuit of embodied empowerment. Lauren started acting on the stage at the age of 10 and went on to pursue a BFA in drama from the Juilliard School. After performing in theaters across the country, she eventually realized that her true calling was in teaching and coaching. Today, she is passionate about helping her clients connect with their bodies, hearts, and minds to unlock their full potential. Through her expertise in somatic experiencing, acting, and creative expression, Lauren helps artists cultivate greater awareness, resilience, and joy in their lives. Whether you're a creative professional seeking to deepen your craft or simply looking to live a more embodied, authentic, and empowered life, Lauren's insights and guidance can help you tap into your innate wisdom and inner resources. In this conversation, we'll explore how Lauren uses somatic experiencing in her work, including the role of the body in emotions, trauma, and creativity, the importance of embodied presence in our daily lives, and the challenges and opportunities of living a fully embodied life. We'll also hear some inspiring stories from Lauren's own journey as an artist and coach, and gain practical tips and tools for cultivating greater presence, purpose, and joy in our lives. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with the wonderful Lauren Lovett. I want to start off, Lauren, with listing the things that I know about you. All right. So uh, you are an embodied artist coach, uh, a holistic dialect and voice coach, an intimacy consultant for production and a somatic experiencing practitioner. Okay. So I'm curious, did I cover all of the hats that you wear or are there even more hats? Well, I'm wearing a beanie nowadays in SoCal. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I also am a trained uh, health coach with IIN and I'm taking an advanced. I'm always taking education, I think, even in our 50s, which neither of you are yet, I don't think, but soon to be at some point. We just keep getting educated. So I keep changing. But embodied artist, coach and somatic experiencing practitioner, for me, that that kind of links everything together um, because I use SE when I'm coaching people on voice and character and dialect work. I use a little bit of IFS, IFS light. Justin, I know you're a big IFS yeah. guy. <laughs> um, I do that in, the, in a light version when I coach folks for um, the creative life and living mm, more of the creative yeah. life and the sort of anxieties and, and roller coaster that we go through when we don't decide to take a salaried job 
and or you do have a salaried job, but you're and you're kind of squelching your creative parts. So for me, it's all it kind of begins and ends with the body and works through the body. And I know on your questions you had like, well, what is I'm sort of skipping around, but what is somatic experiencing, which I weave through the rest of my practices. And so for the listeners, when you say S-E, you are referring to somatic experiencing. Yeah, S-E, somatic experiencing. And somatic, as I'm sure you've already said, I've listened to some of the episodes, and I know you talk about the body. Um, I'm listening to some Breaking the Cycle right now. Um, soma is body in Greek. So somatic practices are anything from massage or Alexander technique or Feldenkrais or EMDR falls under that too, because it's rapid eye movement and any, even exercise and yoga fall under somatic, but somatic experiencing specifically is a therapeutic modality where we are helping you to process trauma through the body. That's kind of the defining feature. In short, would you add dance in to that as yes, well? Yes, because that's with the body, especially ecstatic dance. Yeah. You know, somatic practices have to do with it's sort of a body forward. You know how wine is sort of fruit forward or whatever. It's body, <laughs> forward. body forward. I love it. <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't negate the mind. We're not. You know, when I was an actor, I went to Juilliard to train as an actor, and they used to say, you know, get out of your head, get get out of your head, and that was like, oh, okay, so now I need to be brain dead and just like yeah. flail around. You know what I mean? But that's not really what they meant, as it turns out, because it's connected. Mind, body, spirit is connected. The psyche and the soul and the body, they work together. But I think in our culture, we're used to being mind forward, even mindfulness. It's like, well, for me, that links into being somatically aware. You know, so it's not only mindfulness, but it's like what's happening in my body as far as sensations go. Well, this is why I love IFS because we can have our analytical parts and oh, can, but can they just relax back right now? They can still be here. We're not going to exile them. <laughs> Real quick though, before, before we move I it just occurred to me that another hat that you wear is as retreat facilitator, right? Yes. And for me, that's, that is an adjacent hat. They all fall under sort of embodying to empower. So when we're embodied, when we're exquisitely present in the body, you know how we say like numbing out or I feel numb or I can't feel that, or I need to escape or like an IFS, like firefighting. I'm just like doing all these other things over here to escape. It's like if we were exquisitely present just with ourselves, and not shutting down or running away or getting caught up in sort of the mind swirl, then we are noticing, we, we are, our noticing becomes refined as far as sensations so that you're present with like, ooh, I just said yes to that. And now I feel a little pull in my center, mm. a little contraction, a little constriction. Ooh, my mouth just went dry when I, when I said yes to that or when I said no to that or you know, it just, we can, if we learn our body's inner language, that's, I don't know if that was answering your question, but that. Oh is yeah. No, this is, this is all, this is all going in the right direction. And now I have a curiosity, Jenny, is it harder for highly sensitive people to be in their bodies? Yes. Or to be embodied? Yes. 
Yeah. I think, right. I mean, I, you know, I haven't done any studies, but I can say that anecdotal evidence just from uh, working with people, my own experience. Yeah. Because a lot of HSPs learn to uh, numb out and disconnect and dissociate as a way to cope because they're over, they're in a state of over arousal and overwhelm. Or you can also be so in your body, you're not in your body though. You're just in a state of overwhelm. So you, but you can be very, um, lost in the sensations to the point where you can't really hold on to your mind. So mm. it can go both ways until oh, you wow. can start to kind of slow it down and build some tolerance. Even that exhale just now. Yeah. Like we're going to slow down and park. And I guess your question about the retreats, Justin goes back to that. You know, we, Jenny is on yeah. the retreat team and we're in a place in the desert that's pretty quiet and you can see the stars and we do 24 hours of silence because specifically HSPs, or even if you are not necessarily an HSP, but you're in a phase of overwhelm in your life or, you know, all circuits broken, you do need to recharge. You need to rest. You need to pull over and park. You know, yeah, that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, Lauren, if you can talk us through how you came to be in this work, in this embodied work. You mentioned it when you were in Juilliard, they were kind of yelling at you to get out of your head, which I think yelling always helps me. To <laughs> <get out>. um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. It's a good, it's really effective. yelling at you, insulting you, dressing you down. Yeah, all very, very yeah. negative and harsh. I, I um, feel best when my body's in a trauma response and then I can, yeah. But I'm just yeah. curious, can you take us a little bit through your journey of how you yeah. came to wear all these hats? Yeah, in short, when, I mean, I was, I was acting since I was 10 and I always loved to do characters, you know, the Irish maid or whatever. I mean, I just, I wanted to shape shift. And part of that was to escape into another body, into someone else's story. Um, and then when I went to school, I really enjoyed the voice work and the dialect work. That's what I, part of what I do now. Uh, I really enjoyed that because again, it was sort of transformational and I realized that acting wasn't just, I mean, I always did, but then it just kept being reiterated and felt over and over again that acting is not just a thinking thing. It's not just from the neck up. It includes the entire body. Even if you're not doing a character, if you're doing a character that's even close to you, there's still different things in the nervous system and different feels in the body and sensations and different affects and colors and energies and things like that. So cut to professional actor for a couple of decades, turned 40, and I was like, oh, I don't like, I mean, this is not new. A lot of artists feel this way. Jenny, I know you did too in your art, but like the business of it is so, especially at the time, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago was just like, it was crushing. It just felt like so, you know, you're supposed to be porous and available and vulnerable. And then all of a sudden you need to toughen up and do the marketing and do the networking and do the meetings and sell, sell, sell and all this. And it was like, and I, it was always, as far as body practices go, when I graduated school in the mid-90s, that was the, the years of the, the very lightweight model, the sort of pixie person, sort of we were reliving the 60s look, and I am not that. And it was always like, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. You know, your shape is wrong. You don't look wrong. You know, you're eating yourself out of a job. And I quote. 
was what my agent said to me. And I was normal size, you know, as I am now. I'm pretty much as I am now. So that was crushing on a routine basis. And by the time I was 40 and contemplating other things, like this is where we met Jenny at at, um, Pacifica, I was like, oh, I don't buy into this. I don't even want a seat at this table because it's sick. This table is illness. I don't want this. So we went to Pacifica. Jenny, you graduated. I kind of was like, I started running a nonprofit and I sort of dropped out, but not before I heard about somatic experiencing uh, from somebody in our group who also dropped out and decided to go that route. And I didn't forget that. And a few years later, I was like, so this whole somatic experiencing thing, I think that's my calling. I think that's where I go. And it works really well for artists. It works well for anybody. But I feel like sometimes artists are have a more playful sense of like, all right, this may be silly, but I'll I'll try. I'll do it. You know what I mean? So that was Yeah, what I what I love about SE, what what the you know, I, I'm not a practitioner and I'm I've only experienced it as a recipient. I do it a little bit with clients. I've just learned some some of the tools that will will incorporate in sessions, but what I love about SE, and it's true for IFS, and it's also true for the way I work with EMDR, is that it honors every little nuance and detail that there's a story inside, or there's a part inside, or there's a, a memory inside, or there's something that's trying to be known and acknowledged and then and then uh, discharged, is my understanding. Is that how... How, if you were to kind of describe it or walk us through, like what what is it? What does it look like? Yeah, what does it like, feel what like? What does it look like in embarrassed form? I can give you uh, the letters we use: Cybam, S I B A M, and that goes for sensation, image, behavior, affect, and lastly, meaning. Meaning is the last. Whereas in some psychotherapies and uh, even depth or especially COGB and things like that. It's, well, not necessarily especially, but there's a lot of meaning making right away. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? That's last for us. First is if you and I were in a session and we, we started to talk about something that's charged for you, you know, something that is really tough, really challenging, really heartbreaking, or just, you know, whenever I talk about this, it, it's a charge. I start to get, you know, aroused. I start to get uh, activated is a word we use. And then I would know, say, oh, well, what are the sensations there? Where do you feel that in the body? Oh, well, what does it feel like? Oh, it feels like acid in the throat. Okay, acid. Is there a color to that? And then I start to move into image, like color, or is there an image that comes with that? Yeah, it's like hot, hot oil in my throat, you know, something like that. So, you know, just as Jungian, just as IFS is kind of Jungian adjacent, when we use image, that is a little bit of throwback to good old Carl Jung, because the psyche is giving us images from our bank, from our experience, from our implicit memory, you know, and it's like, ah, and I, as a practitioner, I'm listening acutely to what you're saying and what your body is doing. Like, I have a lot of clients, this is very common, where we might hit on something, and something charged, but then something comes out that's like, ooh, that that makes that there's the meaning that pops up. You can't help it. And I'll see this. Some tongue movement. Tongue buried in the cheek. Tongue, uh-huh. Yes, Justin, exactly. Tongue around the teeth. 
that can, it's not always the same for every body because every body is different. Every psyche is different. But that's usually repressed anger. That's usually mm. like, mm. and if it's middle of the middle of the mouth or any kind of clicking, that could be um, way back to infancy when that's how we get milk. Justin, I know you know this. You have two kids. You know that that's the way we communicate. So that could be something that's needed in a very primal way. But usually the, the shy tongue, when the tongue starts to... What's the... Um, oh, What's that? When you're like rubbing your lips together and biting your lips. That can be anger or just a repression of articulation. So like, I'm okay. not going to say that. Mm. I notice that a lot when folks are reprocessing during EMDR because, you know, we just let them go with it. And we're, yeah. we, we, um, don't talk, we don't speak. We're not trying to engage, just letting them go where they're going and, and with yeah. the reprocessing. And a lot of times I notice is they're kind of cresting the wave of the activation where it's getting mm -hmm. most intense, the rubbing of the lips starts to happen and the biting of the lips. And then, and then you'll see yes. the exhale. Yeah. It could be a wave of repression, a wave of holding something back, whether it's language yeah. or emotion. You know, yeah. we, we have been conditioned to sort of gatekeep our articulation and emotion, especially yeah. people socialized as women, but not not all. Certainly people socialized as men as well. Um, we are taught not, you know, I mean, in, in my generation, it was don't cry out loud. I'll give you something to cry about sort of thing. Mm. So you were weak and, and that was not acceptable to cause mm -hmm. any kind of scene or uproar was distasteful, you know, so I'm. Because of that, I think I, I overcompensate in, in some ways in my sessions by saying anything and everything is available to you and it's all cool. Anger mm. is cool. You know, we release emotion. It's healthy. That's that's welcome everything. Yeah. And mm. I mean, truly, a, like you say, Jenny, a wave of this or, or emotion just a, uh, or even a release like an emotion, these things work in waves. The body works in waves. The nervous system works in waves. Emotion yeah. works in waves. It's just, so it's 90 seconds, really, for an emotion to come up and crest and then complete yeah. if we can hold back the judgment or the story. That mm -hmm. then if we have judgment and story and shame, that attaches like barnacles and then it, it sort of spirals out. But if we can... Part from the judgment and the story and just allow the emotion. It's 90 seconds. It's a cleansing. It's natural. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So then the, the, the aim is to get the emotion in the body to come up and then to be, be released. And then meaning is the very last thing that comes in after something has been expressed physically or in these other ways. Yes. And I mean, meaning does pop up. In between, you know, if you're kind of like doing the, oh, noticing sensations and then somebody has behavior and then we'll make a note of, oh, I'm seeing that you're, I'm noticing that your tongue, again, without judgment, without judgment. Like if I'm just beginning a process with a person and something happens where they might shake a little bit or, or the tongue thing happens or they start to do something, behavior that is semi-conscious or unconscious they will then ridicule themselves. Oh yeah, I, I hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my tongue. Oh, oh yeah. I shouldn't. And it's like, what if we didn't do that? What if we just put that on the side and just allowed that? 
I mean, even in the Alexander technique, which is about alignment, the key is allowing. So we just allow that. So if so, then if you would notice the the cheek thing, and then you say, "Yeah, notice how your tongue is uh-huh. going," uh-huh. and then would you then go allow yourself to continue to do that, but notice that? So 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 then you've changed it from an unconscious to a conscious act. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot, just like depth psychology, we bring a lot of unconscious, like through behavior or sensation, into consciousness. And we just notice it. Or I might say, mm. or if somebody's doing like a hand thing, we all do lots of hand stuff, you know, oh, people yeah. twist around or they're, you know, talking to you. And it's like, oh, I'm noticing that you. Oh, I have lots of hand doing. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if we were in session, I'm like, oh, Justin, because you would be talking and this would be just automatic. This is what happens. Absolutely. So unconscious. You're not saying now I will twist my fingers up. So it's unconscious. And then I would say, oh, Justin, can we notice that you're twisting your fingers around? What does, if you notice it, what does that feel like? Does that, is that positive, negative, or neutral? You know? A lot of these movements, is my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe our body's natural te- attempt to be discharging. Cause I, I always, when I think about SC, I think back around, um, I read about the history, like Peter Levine, and he was talking about how, you know, animals in the wild, after they've been chased by like, say a prey animal has been chased by a lion, you'll notice it will stop. It will shake. It will yawn. It will turn its head right to the left and it will regulate. And that this has been, you know, we have, uh, after the playing dead, that's after the freeze. That's so after, first, yeah. Yeah. First, there's the freeze, and it literally plays dead. I mean, it goes into sort of a very low vibration, low battery existence to try to fool or escape from this being killed, literally. And yes, that video exists. They show it a lot. There's a polar bear, there's a deer, there's a, I think a rabbit too that they show. And after the threat is over, the after a moment it takes a moment and then the animal begins to shake as if in seizure but that is exactly right jenny it is a release it's a discharge from the system a release now that is what we look for and even before that happens you'll notice if what i thought where i sort of thought you were going there's the little things we do this can be this is a habit that has been repeated that is either you're moving your hands to get, just because people can't see you. Oh, okay. Um, I'm moving my hands around, yeah. touching my fingers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So as I was doing before, Justin sort of twisting my fingers around as I was talking. That can be an impulse to try to release some energy, to have an outlet. That can also be a repeated gesture of soothing. It can be a few different things versus if we're talking about something that's charged and somebody might be like, oh, I don't care. Oh, whatever. That might be a protective gesture that in if we slowed it down and repeated it and actually extended it it's more like this so i'm putting up my hand like ah i don't care sort of pushing aside but then if i slow it down i notice the sensation and i sort of follow that in an extended way all of a sudden my brain my nervous system might give me an image oh i'm pushing my little brother out of the way of my dad you know, these things can come up because they are in the unconscious, which is linked to the body. 
So there are stories of trauma. As oftentimes we'll go, we'll go with a gesture that feels protective, right? That feels like, but we use it all the time, especially when we're kind of borderline angry, resistant. You know, no, no, I'm, I don't care about, that. you know what I mean? You might do the shove aside gesture, which if we enlarge that, it reveals a story that you may have forgotten about. That you're like, well, I don't think about that moment where I pushed my brother out of my dad's way all the time, but that's in there. So the work that you do is largely, so this somatic experiencing work, largely about helping people get in touch with past trauma that has been stored in their body in some way. Is that right? By being exquisitely present. That's what's so great about it is that when we're present in the body, the past stories can reveal themselves because they're in the cells. They're in there. They haven't been processed. Like there's a saying with FB that's like, what, what repeats isn't complete and what completes doesn't repeat. So this is, this is in with your cycle breaking that is going on that I'm listening to as we record this. And I know it'll be past season, past episodes, but the cycle of, oh, I always do this, or I'm always in this kind of situation, or I always find myself here. That's a cycle that needs breaking. And we can do that through somatic experiencing by uncovering things that you are not conscious of, that live in the body, the trauma that lives in the body, the patterning from that trauma, the patterning of protection and defense, just like in IFS, the protectors, you know, we can find that that the unconscious things that still live and kind of have some say in what we do, even though we don't realize it. So there's this work around finding and then processing and expressing these past traumas. I wonder, are there also, is, is it the same techniques or what techniques are there for processing what is happening for us on a day-to-day -day basis, like, oh my God, I just got done with this conversation with a family member and I'm, and I'm feeling totally triggered. Is, is it the same process or because it's so recent, are there different techniques? I would say it is the same process, especially if it's that kind of thing, a conversation. What I would say is different is if it's been like something like a car accident, we want to wait a little while to go into SE for that. Like, I wouldn't want to see you the day after because the body is still kind of ringing from that. You know, I want to see you. I want to help you process it when there are safe places for you in the body, resources in yourself and in the room. You know, I could, I could. There, there are SE people that go to you know, areas that have been bombed and are in war and things like that. I was going to say that. I feel like I've heard of, of, of that. Yeah. Yes, you can. Absolutely. But like in an ideal scenario, I would like to wait a little bit because we're still kind of the feathers are all up in the air still. The nervous system is still jangled. And I would want you to get just some calming rather than us sort of like kind of baby elephant walking into the event to get some discharge. It's, it's a little bit too soon for that. So I would mm. use the same process, but I might wait and say, Justin, let me see you in a week or two so that then things that are coming up that are related to the accident, but also to what you're, what you were holding in your body before that, any tension trauma that that could get overcoupled with. Do you know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and the conversation, you know, if you, if you have a, th- that scenario, if you come to me like, oh, I mean, I have definitely had sessions where people are like, 911, this is my 911 call to you. I'm having a horrifying time. I need a session. And we get on. And my job then is to first ground you. If you are in overwhelm, I'm not going to be like, oh, let's look at what your body's doing right now while everything is up in the air and you're just freaking out. You know, I want, I literally have asked folks if they'd like to sit on the ground with me. Even if we're on Zoom, we place the pelvis on the ground. We feel the ground. We feel our feet on the ground. We, we literally ground your system. It's almost like when you're so charged and sympathetic, you're like an airplane in the air that's lost its it's going down. You know what I mean? And we're going to crash. So my job first is to give you a soft place to land and ground you and let you know, okay, you've landed. You've landed. Let's breathe together. Let's notice sensations. Okay. Where do you feel the most grounded in the body? You know, especially if you're supercharged, then we, we have a little space because we need a little space, the resourcing that goes on in somatic experiencing. There's sort of a, a, a titration a going into what they call the trauma vortex. I don't tend to use that language so much, but, and then there's a, a resourcing. Okay, look outside your window. Look at that tree that you told me you love. Okay, you know, oh, your little dog is in your lap. Let's, let's stroke its head and connect to that to give you a resource because we don't want to further traumatize you. You know, we don't want to send you even more sharply into over. It's a delicate balance in these, in these trauma modalities, because, you know, on one hand, we want to, we don't want to be afraid of the big feeling if we're working toward a discharge, like going back to that wave. Yeah. We, we don't want to keep cresting and then backing away and cresting and back away, which, it, which in a lot of talk therapy, you know, that was sort of what we would do. We would sort of like, we bring in, a, we, we'd go toward the, the, the big emotion and then we do what we could to kind of calm the big emotion down. Yeah. And now what we're, you know, I know in IFS and all these modalities that we all work in, it's like, for, first you have to, you know, do it safely. Like, and safely doesn't mean without sensation. It doesn't mean without discomfort. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, knowing what the, what the window of tolerance is and then, and then can we, can we crest that wave and discharge the trauma? Um, so it's interesting. It's just such a delicate, it's such an interesting, it's, it's so artful. I think these trauma modalities, like, right. It's like, they're very artistic and creative because no, it doesn't look the same with each person. It's, and I'm just imagining for you, as you talk, Lauren, it feels very creative just to even be an SE practitioner. Like there's something artistic in the way that you're working with people. Does it, does it scratch that itch for you at all? That creative part of you? Yeah. I mean, I'm a a relational gal, you know, and I love people and I love that we all have vulnerability and power, you know, and for me, embodiment is empowerment. And so, yes, there's an art in it because just like you and just like both of you, you can choose there's a few ways to go, you know, just like with you and Justin, there's a few ways to go. And when, when someone says something that seems, oh, uh-huh, important, interesting, a trailhead or a body thing happens, you're like, OK, I could go here. We could go there. And so you sort of ask questions. And as far as the big emotions and the waves and stuff, that also, I find, depends on the capacity day to day 
of the practitioner, of the practitioner or the therapist. You know, I mean, I, I welcome big emotions because most of the time I have the capacity for that. I want people to feel liberation and, and be able to be like, oh, I'm just so, you know what I mean? Just baring teeth and growling and roaring or sobbing. You know, that doesn't scare me most of the time. I mean, we all have different days and I have to honor my body and psyche and spirit and say, oof, I'm not, I'm not up to this today. Or, or I prep myself, you know, I do some yoga, I do some movement, I go for a walk outside. I, I have a little phone booth infrared sauna in the, in the garage, uh, lest I be categorized negatively, but I sit in there and I meditate and I ask for guidance and, you know, to, if I know, like for this retreat coming up that we have, we will have six to eight people coming and, and needing care. And I'm not going to be drinking before that. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to do movement every day, which I do already to, so that I am well, so that I am as well as I can be to create a beautiful container with you, Jenny, and the other people that are mentoring on that retreat. If we don't acknowledge ourselves as bodies in the space and psyches and spirit in the space, you know, but if you're well and you're primed and you feel this is like, yeah, this is my jam. I bring it, bring it. Then that, then we don't necessarily have to dip out so quickly. There's not a like, oh, let me titrate you right now before you get really upset. It's not that. It is being able to allow somebody to go to a big, open, round place that they haven't let themselves go or not in a long time, and then being able to resource out of that when it seems complete, you know? So one of the issues in IFS, or like at least IFS training, is around this issue of titration, where if a client is starting to experience big emotions, there's all these little little tricks. Okay, can you can you ask this part if it can turn down the volume 10%? Uh, can, uh, can you let this part know that when it's so close, it's, it's, it's hard to see it, you know, so if it can just ease back. And, uh, and, and so it's, a, it's like real tricky, uh, you know, how, how much do you want to allow? And then how much how much do you want to turn that volume knob down. And so what I'm hearing is that for somatic experiencing, it's it's more on the side of like, how much can we get this volume knob to go? Well, for me, everyone is different. I mean, there's also within SC, there's a practitioner called, there's a teacher, one of the senior faculty called Raja, and he does the expansion technique, which actually, instead of a lot of titration, it actually invites you to be in the big feeling, the, the wave that's coming and expand it and share it with other parts of the body as well. Ooh, of all right. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. I so making too. more more room. So the feeling doesn't need to be lessened. There just now needs to be more room for that big feeling. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's which beautiful. I, I like that. You know, I mean, I think it depends on the practitioner. It depends on the day and it depends on your client, you know, I mean, there are people, I mean, you know, we are all vulnerable, but then there's a sense of like, I am fragile, like somebody that has been told or conditioned that they can't handle things, that there's a fragility and they have all kinds of ailments and stuff, which are real. They are real. 
but it is brought on by a conditioning of like, oh, it's like an infantilization of them. It's a fragilization of them. You don't have any power. You are not powerful. And, you know, my jam is empowerment. Like we all have the same battery pack. It's how are you charging that thing? Yeah, it's interesting. What shows up in our offices a lot are people who are so traumatized that what then builds on top of that is a phobia of big feelings, of memories, of parts and trauma. And so a lot of times we're doing the work of expansion, which if to use an SE term, and we would call it building a window of tolerance around those phobias first Mm, mm, so that we can even get in connection with parts and get in connection with image, with sensation, you know, because it, it, it is, it is so frightening and it, it, it's there, it, it goes into such overwhelm so quickly and we have to, we have to slow it down. But once you, once you're hip to that and you can start to build that then the access to the other parts, it's so beautiful to just watch the relief. But it's, you know, when someone's in that much trauma where they, we can't even go toward any, you know, even just the idea, I think this is what keeps people from going into trauma therapy that need it, is that they've been in such a constricted trauma response for so long that it's built up this, this fear of anything that has to do with it. So anyway, it's just, it's beautiful to see all the way these modalities can address that and help make the body become a safe place again, which is what I hear SE doing. Yeah, that's, that is processing equals you can be in the body again. You can love the body again because this is where we live, mm-hmm. you know, and our culture spends so much, so much time ignoring it and like, oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> somebody I know who's very close to me said to me who has different things going on in their body, different um, autoimmune and things like that. And we're kind of working on like, oh, you might need a little bit more of, uh, you know, unsaturated fats in the diet and we need more rest. And then they told me, which they hadn't told me before, oh, you know, I know I should drink more water. I only have a couple of swallows in the morning when I take my pills and a couple of swallows at night. And they were having headaches and they were fatigued and their joints were aching. I was like, girlfriend, you are dehydrated. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, sometimes it's, it's as that makes me thirsty. Just I got to take a drink. Right. You got to take some water. <laughs> I, have my water. I have my water jug right outside my little my little mop closet here. But yeah, I mean, if but she wasn't listening to her. She was feeling the headache when it became a headache, but not before that. You know? Well, Lauren, the, I remember a couple of years ago seeing this tweet. Somebody said, like, you know, the like human existence is so weird. It's like, is this an existential crisis or do I need a ham sandwich? Like, yes. what, what, like what's actually <laughs> happening right now? Valid. Or both, yes. you know. Especially because. Oftentimes. Yeah, or both. In this culture where, you know, we have been very sort of Eurocentrically Uh, body shaming and everybody should look the same like a 10 year old boy, Swedish boy or something. When we all come from different ancestral lines, our bodies are differently shaped and receive food and rest and exercise differently. You know, all bodies are beautiful. That is my thing because we are all different. We have different ancestral lines that help us to come into the beings that we are. And so we, the culture that heretofore had been really 
you know, honoring this very sort of white idea and thin idea um, of what we should look like, then we start to ignore like our hunger. You know, I use even with people that I'm not health coaching, I'll use a hunger scale. It's like, well, you know, when you're at a one, when you're about to pass out and you have a migraine because you haven't eaten all day or for a day and a half. And you know, when you're at a 10, when you're like super bloated, you just ate a ton and you got to like lay on the couch. But what's, what is four and five like where you are, you might be, you could eat in about an hour, you know, that sort of a four five is like, you're actually neither hungry nor full. So maybe in a couple hours, like the nuance of the middle, you know, just getting to know your body signals or wow, my stomach is full, but mm, this is dry. I do need some water right now. I'm starting to feel a little tired, a little dehydrated. I need some room temperature water um, to hydrate my system. And all those aches where we're at the computer for hours and hours and hours and we're bent over and all that stuff, there's like fascial adhesions where your lymphatic system has kind of, to put it in, in layman's terms, like dried up. So the fascia becomes dry and sticky. And then you're like, ah, why does my neck and shoulder, why do they always ache? It's like, you need to move your body and you need to drink more water. And sometimes it is at least in the, in the first layer, as simple as that. And then we get to deeper layers of psyche and trauma. I also am a big fan of what I call flushing the toilet, which is a good cry. Because that's yeah. the lymphatic system just in <sighs> flushing. And, and I noticed... For myself, when I have a good cry, my aches go away. Yeah. The 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 tension that I'm holding that is so kind of migratory and chronic in my body just goes away. Just feels like all that is discharged. Yeah, like you said, tension. You're holding something back. You're unconsciously, unconsciously, and the joints. I mean, when we do touch therapy in SE, we we can do touch therapy specifically on the joints. And the different diaphragms that you have, you have the diaphragm, but you also have one in your shoulder girdle and one down in the pelvis. That's what allows us to take big breaths, the sort of contraction, expansion and release, and then also, you know, have a baby and things down in the pelvis. So those are three different diaphragms that if they are locked or the joints are locked, that is tension. And that is not allowing a, a flow of many kinds, lymphatic, blood, emotional, energetic. What's the, tell us about touch therapy. Have you experienced touch therapy from SE? SE, SE touch. No. Uh -uh. Mm. I've well, only, I, I've only had it where it's like talk and they're bringing me an awareness of nuances and, and then trusting impulses, like physical impulse. Like, Oh, what, what do you feel like doing? Like, I feel like going like waving my hands back and forth. Okay. Well, what if you were to allow yourself that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Just sitting, sitting up. So touch mm -hmm, therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, traditionally in its, in its rawest form is we, if you were coming to me, we would talk about, you know, how are you? How's your body? What's going on with you? And then I would kind of get some consent, which also is adjacent to my consent and int intimacy practices, which is another area. But, you know, how do you feel about touch? Are, are there any parts of you that you don't want touch? You know, and of course we would not, we're not doing any kind of sexuality, sexual touch. So I would ask you if it, if it feels good for you to lay on the table after we've had a conversation and I know where you feel most comfortable. And then I would watch your body and even just your breath, even if you weren't talking or I wasn't asking you anything or 
It was just quiet. You could also be talking if you wanted to, or I might ask you something. And I would watch for waves in the body or where the constriction is. And then I would just put my hands, and I'm doing that now. I might put my hand on your shoulder for, I might put it under your shoulder for support. Or I might put both hands, one on top and one on the bottom of your shoulder, as you're lying down, you're lying face up for containment. Or I might, if there was something specific, I might put my hand on an area like in your abdomen. If there was some ache there or some constriction there, I might go to the organ places and just lay a hand for support or to help unfreeze. So we're not really, I mean, it's closest to energy work, even though I'm not trying to be doing anything, but support, containment, maybe opening, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit of release through just allowing my hand to be there. Maybe we might mm-hmm. use some image. What does that feel like? Oh, feels like there's a rock under there. Ah, well, what what's that like? What's the rock? How big is it? Oh, where what's where are the edges of that rock? What's it made? Oh, it's a real rock. It's a real heavy rock. Ah, can my hand touch that rock? And is there a possibility? Do you feel the heat for? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, is there any melting? You know what I mean? Like I can lightly, lightly direct or ask to try to help mm-hmm. break up that heaviness for you, with you. Uh, but it is not any kind of manipulating of the tissues, mm-hmm. like massages or other body work. I'm not stretching you. I'm not, you know, giving you any kind of muscle work, you know? Yeah. I think some of the most powerful touch therapies I've ever experienced have been that very subtle, you know, like I did rolfing, not yeah. subtle not at subtle. all. Nope. And, and, you know, I can't say it didn't help me, you know, but um, the most restorative and the most sort of connected to psyche and emotions and soul have been the real subtle, the subtle touch therapy. So that sounds really, it's making me want to go get an SC session after we end this yeah. podcast. <laughs> it's really beautiful. It's really yeah. for, for both people, both the practitioner and the client, the receiver, yeah, you know, just to even see a wave go through and settle and then a big breath come in and then you can see the body shift. It makes me want to ask about your intimacy coordinating, which I think, mm. you know, a lot of people don't even maybe know what that is. Oh, yeah. um, it's becoming more popular. I know there's been articles written about it recently, but can you talk a little bit about what that is? And I, I guess what I'm curious about is it's a place where you're facilitating boundary touch between other people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm just so curious about how that intersects with SE and your knowledge and, and with folks who maybe, you know, don't have that kind of body awareness. Intimacy work, just to bring folks in that, that haven't heard of that, intimacy and consent-based practices are something that's fairly new to coalesce, to become some, a training you can take, a, a job you can have. I mean, it's been going on here and there, usually like female fight choreographers. You know, they would choreograph a fight for a theater or for film and TV. And then the director would be like, oh, also there's like a, a kiss here. Can, can you just help us with that since you're kind of like doing the body stuff? Or a choreographer, they'd be like, yeah, there's also like, after this dance, they kind of like go roll around in bed. You Could you do that too? You know, and sometimes that works out and other times it's not a great idea. Although a lot of people 
who now run these training uh, programs are former fight choreographers and regular and dance choreographers. So they're aware of the body. What I bring to the intimacy, and I've taken a lot of training and I will continue to, is my body awareness through SE. So what I start out with, if I'm talking to a company, whether it's a, a, a show like for TV, the main cast, or a grad program, which I've done, or a theater show, I'll say, okay, you've all heard of like consent-based practices, intimacy. What does consent feel like in your body? You know, oftentimes we have to go the opposite. It's like, okay, what does not, you don't have consent, you don't give consent, non-consensual, what does that feel like? And people can really find that more quickly than like, oh, what does it feel like for me to feel comfortable enough? Again, that comfort scale, because the trick about this is that when you are at work and you are an actor, for example, which is where these practices are used, you're not necessarily always going to be comfortable. Comfortable is like hanging out with your sweetie watching Netflix. You're at work and there will be some demands made by the material. Not, not by the mean old director or whatever, or producer, but by the material that you have read, that you have said, okay, I'm up for this. So we're not going for luxurious comfort. We are going for, okay, what does consent feel like? How do you know if it says X, Y, Z in the blocking, in the script, he grabs her, mm -hmm. they have sex. Sometimes it just says, and they fall to the ground and have sex. And it's like, well, that's pretty general, you know? So right. how do you know that that's okay with you and what is okay? So then we break it down and we go into a, what's actually called a boundary practice where today, if Jenny, you and I, we're going to, we've accepted, we know this is the rehearsal. This is the scene we're going to work on today where you and I have um, sex in a bed, simulated sex in a bed, because that's what the story is. Then I will show you, literally, I will show you the areas of my body that I give you consent to touch and you repeat that back to me and then you show me. And then with your permission, I might take your hand and initiate the touch on my body together and vice versa. So that the first time you're touching is not, okay, yeah, let's just roll around in the bed and like, oh yeah, grab, grab each other. You know, we are conscious. We are mm -hmm. consent and consent is conditional as it is in life. Just because you are married in life now doesn't mean you give your consent to like be open all the time to any sexual act, right? It's conditional. So especially when we're at work, especially mm -hmm. when we are in our job, you know, just because I gave you consent two weeks ago at that rehearsal, if something has happened to me, and I don't have to explain, by the way, I could pull you aside and say, Jenny, can we just do a boundary practice real quick because something's changed for me? And I want to let you know. And you go, yeah. And then you let, okay, this was available, but today it's not, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you might say, because we have fences, that's called a fence that's not available. And then there's gates in fences, just like in real life. So you might say, okay, Lauren, I want to respect that. I hear that. And the way that it's been choreographed, I do need to touch you there in this moment because that is part of the choreography do you have another suggestion or do you have a gate there for that one moment? And so we, mm. you know, and I need to know within my own body what a real yes. And as Jenny language, a full body yes is because a lot of we've been conditioned, especially in the theater or in film and TV as actors to always say yes, because we don't want to be a problem. We don't want to be hard to work with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or in America. 
<laughs> Jenny, yes. Presentation <laughs> to a full company, including staff, including stage management and, and other administrators. You know, I'll say, you know, that's actually dangerous. If you always say yes when you mean no and you're putting yourself at risk of trauma, that's mm-hmm. dangerous. What is mm-hmm. easier to work with is knowing where you stand with someone. You saying, okay, these are my these are my boundaries. This is a fence that has a gate, whatever the language is, whatever we've established. If you can communicate that clearly, and also when folks make mistake and they apologize, you say, I hear your apology that feels heartfelt. And yes, I understand that was a mistake. We can let it go. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. we're making these agreements together of how we will handle these things so that it's not punitive. You're not saying yes when you mean no. I mean, think of all the things, even in our adult lives, if we could we could work with each other this way in a consent-based way where we keep mm-hmm. checking in. Is that still okay with you? Yeah. How would it be if I... I'm also noticing that the work that you do in SE helps regular people understand more what is a real yes and a real no, as you said with Jenny, like a full body yes. And, and, and that so often our yeses and nos, if we're, if we're not embodied, if we're not connected with our body, will not be authentic. Yeah. And so this work helps us feel like, oh yeah, no, I'm connected now with a real yes or a real no. Yes. Yeah. And like Jenny was saying with some of her clients, they're so in freeze that they can't, it's numb. They don't know, you know, and, and that's why I sometimes go to food and hunger because you do eat, hopefully. And you, even if you don't really feel hunger until you're falling on the ground, we can start there because it's something, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that you do every day. So Lauren, have you heard of authentic relating? We did a couple of podcasts on authentic relating. Uh, just in that, but I haven't like studied. All right, so I, I, I do authentic relating games. I uh, lead a conscious dance event a couple times a month here in Savannah. And, and then we do uh, some, some authentic relating beforehand. And this last week, uh, I found this, this authentic relating game called the Yes, No game. Uh, so we break out into pairs and one person is yes and the other person is no. And that's, those are the only words they can use for one minute. Yes, mm. yes, no, no. And they have to embody like, what does this feel like in their body? Yes. What, is, what does it feel like to just, to just be yes for one minute or just to be no for one minute? And um, it, was, it was a fascinating exercise. It was really, really cool to like feel this in your body. Yeah. And in in that intimacy and consent-based practice, we do a game, not just like that, but there's a theater game where you stand in a circle and you point to somebody and you call it Jenny. And Jenny says, yes, you know, because we always say yes. But then I introduce the pause button word, which you can use button. So now you have two choices for that round. And then we introduce no. And it seems to be really tough for folks to use no. Yes, you know? it was hard for people to be no for, for, for one minute to just to yeah. inhabit no in their body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I want to understand it. So you're sitting there and what is the per- the other person saying? Like, like, are they saying like, you like spaghetti? And then you're like, no, 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 no. no. Oh, it's just yes. That. It's just yes. Or it's just no. But what's the other no. person saying? The other person saying no. So, so one person is no oh, and one person going, is yes for one, for yes. one minute. And then, yes. and then after that one minute, you switch. 
and okay. then the, and, and then you get to feel like You're if you were the no, the word. then you get to feel like what it's like to be yes. Oh, and then for one minute after that, each person gets the choice of being yes, no, or maybe, and they can just play play with with that and just to feel know, that, that in your body. Yeah, that's so cool. I was I was reading over our authentic relating stuff yesterday because we're getting ready to do a, an authentic relating training with my team here, which I'm super stoked about. But um, and I was looking at the prompts around a value I hold, like when you communicate to someone, like a value that I firmly hold is dot dot dot. And so I forget what is it, Justin? It's like you you state the value that you hold, and and that was the reason why there might have been conflict or something. Yeah, yeah. There, there. This is boy. I, I haven't I haven't looked at this in a couple of weeks, but yeah, there, it's about owning one's experience. So if I'm really putting up some resistance around us doing s- some activity, then I, I I can I can own own my experience of saying I have a really strong value around da 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 da. Okay. And that's why I'm feeling all the, all of this resist or that's that's why I'm putting up this resistance. Yeah, so I as as I was reading that I was realizing I have a really strong value around people saying no when they mean no. That when someone said when someone means no but they say yes. Oh my god, that's activating for me. Like it just Oh, it like uh, the tongue in the cheek, like the anger, it's, you know, and, so, and yet, and yet I know how hard it is to say no. I mean, you know, so it's interesting that what you guys are sharing in terms of it being so difficult for people to say no, to just say it in a game, mm-hmm. um, hard. let and alone Jenny, life. You are probably charged by that because you have worked on that. You yeah. Know, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Life, early years, you were a yes girl. And oh, so yeah. Still recovering. Now you're like, just Still say no. Recovering. Just say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the hologram is real, yo. Okay. All right. So I want to honor your time, Lauren. So we have three final questions that we ask every guest. But before we do that, I do want to give you a chance to talk about the retreats in more detail. So you have one coming up that really quick. So I'm out uh, near Joshua Tree and that's where I hold the retreats in the desert because it is a beautiful, beautiful place. You can see the stars. It's much quieter than the city, although the coyotes do howl. So do the owls, Uh, but you're surrounded by nature. Jenny and I, by the time this airs, we will have done our embodiment retreat uh, where we go into silence. We have plant-based meals. We do all kinds of programming, including parts work and a lot of the stuff we've talked about today. The next one is May 18th to the 21st, and that is with Pam Rose, who is a singer-songwriter of much acclaim, has worked with the greats. She's in Nashville, and she's going to come out here to this property, and she has been studying astrology for as long as she's been in music. So I don't want to date her, but it's a long, 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 long time. And she, we're gonna, we have a telescope and she has a planetary thing so we can understand ourselves in the realm of planets and stars. She might do some readings. And of course, we're going to voice and sing. And uh, we're also going to an immersive sound bath out here, which is called Integratron. So we can feel the, be immersed in the sounds, the, the vibration of sound. So it's it's really it's it's similar to the embodiment, but with her coming, it's it tilts towards astrology and us relating to the vastness in that way, and with sound and music and story. It sounds amazing. 
Absolutely. And so there will be collective singing there too, like singing yeah. as a as a group. I am really interested in this. I, I haven't done any research on this, but I'm doing a lot of writing right now around the loss of community and things that we can do in our lives to bring back community and transcendence. Into, uh, and I believe that singing together is one of these acts of transcendence that bring us together and that just lift us above ourselves when we're together with other people. Agreed. I'm so excited Agreed, especially for Especially when we can forget the judgment. Why do you think I'm always all about karaoke. I, I mentioned it on every episode. I mean, it is to me. <laughs> it is your all, own spiritual practice. Yes. Oh, it is. I mean, it would just bring the world together if we all, you know, karaoke together in a giant uh, the, karaoke well, there, bar. So maybe saying. the re, the retreat after the next one will be karaoke based. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Dare to dream. Yeah. You never know. Okay, Laura. So the final three questions. First one is if you could put a post-it note on everyone's refrigerator tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say? Well, I have a few. Can I have a few? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one is what I kind of have slipped in there already, which is embodiment is empowerment. You know, if Mm. you learn your body's inner language, you will be able to fill up your battery, know yourself better. One would be something like where your focus goes, energy flows. That Mm. could be positive or negative, but that's where the energy goes, where your focus is. Uh, Another one is, you know, you are not your past conditioning. And every day is another opportunity to release and begin to recondition. So those are sort of my little doodads I like. Beautiful. And then... Is there a recent quote that you've come across that has changed the way you think or feel? Yes, actually, you know, I won't, I'm not going to go on and on about this, but I will quote Audre Lorde. And that is because I have been introduced to her over the last four years. I knew about her before, but I did not study her as I've read her now. Uh, And Sonia Renee Taylor and other, um, folks that are courageously out there about race and our bodies and all of that. So they are the people that actually a lot of the intimacy training is from their work. So, and I also want to say a little bit about Peter Levine, though a great guy and I have met him and he wrote Waking the Tiger and brought it to the forefront. These somatic practices are not, do not begin with him as a lovely white guy. They are indigenous practices. I just want to kind of highlight that. But a quote that I love that I actually will read because I don't want to get it wrong. Audre Lorde says, when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I'm afraid. Mm. Thank you. Dare to be powerful. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) And so finally, what is one thing giving you hope right now? Just that, that I think the culture slowly, slowly, at least part of it, is turning toward more awareness and bringing the unconscious into the conscious and, you know, shedding the self-hatred. Some, some of us are wanting that and to be more in love with our bodies and listening And, you know, there's power and humility and they go hand in hand. And I feel like there's a lot of that in the air right now, along with all the chaos and anxiety. 
there is a desire that feels young to me or renewed at least that we want to be more embodied and more conscious and more loving and you're a big part of bringing this into the world thank you i know lauren you're giving me hope that's such a good reminder (laughs) yeah for real (laughs) i really do i really do have hope guys i do it's gonna all everything's gonna blow up mind you that but we will (laughs) we're all we're all gonna die a fiery death don't uh, (laughs) know yeah but we signed up for it so yes it's it's, it's, (laughs) you know and it's no, it's not the fault of one person or action, but we can be conscious of this. We can, you know, reach out for each other. We can ask for guidance and we can be clear about ourselves and what we need. And, and therefore goes the shame and the judgment and all of that. And, and love comes out, love comes to the surface, no matter what. Lauren, thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back on. This was such a beautiful conversation. Thank you. And you oh have a God, lot to offer. Lauren. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents. So let's spread the love.